First Peter chapter 2, and uh, thank you, Maudie and Zach, for bringing your babies here to remind us of what it sounds like to be an infant longing for pure spiritual milk. And so what happens, um, as we talked about last week, what happens when, uh, when we do actually take part and drink in that pure spiritual milk? What goes on inside of us? What growth happens? And I know without a shadow of a doubt that, uh, that many of you in this room have heard these words from Peter. I think I said this last week. I know that you've heard these words. And the call to you, older saints, is that we would continually be maturing in Christ, that we would continually be growing in Christ. There is not a stoppage to the longing for the pure spiritual milk. There is a continuation of that, that we would continually continually be growing and maturing and longing for Christ. As Vicky read earlier from Psalm 34, that we would continue to taste and see, that we would continue to have fear of the Lord, that we would not stop in that. And that's why we kind of su- summarize this whole book of, of Peter as that Christ is our living hope and that hope is not followed by a period, but it's always followed by a comma. There's always something that follows. There's more to it. We have a living hope. We have a living living Savior. And now we're going to talk about this living stone, Jesus, that was rejected by men, but precious in the sight of God, chosen by God. So I hope this morning that um, as we read these verses, if they are very familiar to you, maybe you would take a moment um, as I'm continually talking and you would say, God, help these words. Uh, not just be old words, words that I'm familiar with, but let them be words that are from you, living and active, cutting to my heart. Peter says in verse 4, as you come to him, him being Jesus. So put this in context of the verses before. As you come to him, as you're longing for pure spiritual milk. So as you're, as you're approaching God, as you're longing for God, remember who he is. He is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Paul or Peter, writing to these Christians, are writing to them, remember, as exiles. What are exiles? People living in rejection. It was like they were playing in the NBA in the 1990s, and a really tall fellow from Africa rejected them as they shot and threw the basketball as far away as he could and then used his large finger and waved it at them and said, not in my house. You have been rejected. The same way the Pharisees, the Jews of Jesus' time, rejected him as the Messiah. And if you remember anything from Jesus' time on the earth, he corrected the Pharisees often. He even told them the one time that we see him, uh, what seems to be angry, a holy anger, he's throwing tables inside the temple, correcting, rebuking the Pharisees, the religious leaders, for making God's temple a den of robbers or thieves. Not in my house. My father's house would be called a house of prayer. And yet the earthly sinners, not the Savior, but the sinners, rejected Jesus' word saying, no, this is our house, and so we're going to reject you and tell you not in our house. So there, there has to be this this morning for you, even as a, as a saint. Think for a moment here. What is 
now, I'm talking about at this moment, what or where is the Lord's house? And how is rejection of Jesus as the Messiah happening today? Is it a place in Israel? Is it a place in Washington, D.C.? Is it a place in Santa Fe? Is it a place in Lovington? Is it a place in Texas? We hope so, don't we? Is it, is it this place, or is there something more significant that has happened with the life and the sacrifice and the death and the resurrection and the ascension and the seatedness at the right hand of God? I don't know if that's a word or not, but the sitting at the right hand of God, something more dramatic happened. Jesus has been rejected by men and women as the living stone. I'm going to jump down to verse 6. This quotation or this, um, this citing from Isaiah chapter 28. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So this prophecy is talking about the Messiah to come, Jesus. We recognize him as Jesus. Remember Jesus' words. He's fulfilled all prophecy. Go back and listen to or remember our times from the minor prophets. All about the temple rebuilding. All about the fact that the temple was being rebuilt to point us to the true temple, Jesus. To point us to God's presence being uh, on this earth in the form of himself, in the form of Jesus. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Remember this. Hold these words that you're uh, for yourself if you ever feel rejected. Okay, we'll get to that in a moment. Verse 7. So the honors for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone, this is coming from Psalm 118, verse 22, the, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stumbling block, a stumbling stone, a tripping stone. So put this in context of chapter 1, what Peter is saying. Remember, Jesus has called Peter Petra, or the rock, that the church is going to be built on. But in humility, he's recognizing, I'm not the cornerstone. Though I may be foundational, though God may use me as a foundation, I'm not the cornerstone. I'm not the stone. I'm a rock. It's going to help elevate or lift up the church and make God's presence known, but I'm not the cornerstone. Peter, Petra, the rock, is saying there is one who is the cornerstone, and men have rejected him according to prophecy, and that person is a living stone now, Jesus. Think back to chapter 1, this rebirth that's happening. So when Jesus talks about tearing down the temple and yet rebuilding it, let your minds wander into rebirth, that as Christ has re caused rebirth in your life or a new creation in your new life, a regeneration in your life, you are now being built upon not just the same old temple, not just the same old rocks, but instead now you're being rebuilt upon or regenerated upon the cornerstone, Jesus. Your life foundationally being built upon Jesus. So as you come to him, Peter is saying here in verse 4, we're coming to this living stone. How can we approach God? How can we approach God as people who may not be living? As you, uh, Peter is giving the idea here that we are continually coming to Christ in worship and prayer and praise, that we are built, being, uh, constantly being built up into this spiritual temple, that we're not to, uh, to stop this coming to him. 
But I know some of you recognize, and you, you know this, uh, because you either see it in the world, and you like to point fingers, or you see it in yourself, and you recognize only those who are pure and holy can approach God. We are not just, not just anyone is allowed to go into the Holy of Holies to approach the living God. And if sin separates us, and sin leads ultimately to death, How can we as dead individuals, full of sin, full of impurities, full of unholiness, approach a living God? Well, this is where the good news comes in, the gospel. Our sin, our our Savior comes in to restore what is broken, to make alive what is dead, to cast away the sin that separates us and rescue us or ransom us back into a right relationship with the Father. And just so you know, this is happening every day of your life if you have confessed Christ as Lord. We talked about a men's study on Wednesday night. If you've confessed Christ as Lord, you have a living Lord. Death no longer is your Lord. Death no longer rules over you. And so because of that, because you have a living Lord daily, and we celebrated this last week in the Lord's Supper, but daily you're remembering the resurrection of Christ and the life that He has given to you. Think back to the garden scene with Adam and Eve. God was dwelling with his people. He was dwelling with his creation, yet sin entered through the form of rebellion and caused separation from God. And God removed himself from the sinners. He left the garden place. No longer is it a holy place. Now it is a broken place full of impurities and sin, and so he has removed himself from that. But he's overall had this longing for us that he might dwell with us again. So he has to remedy the brokenness. How will he do this? As we we march through uh, the Bible, we see this in a variety of ways. Think about how he dwelt among the Israelites who were still in, uh, in a form of rejecting him. He led them by smoke and by fire. And God's glory and his presence was made known. He wanted to dwell with them, but it had to be in a right relationship. The ark represented his, his presence, but it had to, it couldn't be touched. If it was touched, uh, if, if it was touched, what would happen? Death would occur. God's presence was made known, but it was unapproachable with sin. You couldn't approach him with sin. There had to be some remedy. So he puts into place these uh, these uh, Levitical laws so that you could be and I could be cleansed of our sins so that we could be in the presence of God. And as Peter is talking about, and we're going to talk about this more next week, he says, you're coming to this living stone, rejected by men, rejecting the presence of God, rejecting the Messiah of God, rejecting the Christ, rejecting prophecy, rejecting God himself, Many men have done this, but yet Peter wants us to recognize, verse, verse 5, you yourselves, like this living stone, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So I want to spend the rest of our time thinking about this living stone rejected by God and how we can approach him and how we're going to be being built up as the church, as living stones being formed together, uh, but also uniting in Christ's rejection. Think about this. Uh, as I mentioned to you about the Old Testament walking through there, Peter is describing how we can enter into the Lord's presence. We, lowly no ones, fishermen, unholy. He's calling us priests. How is this going to happen? He answers that at the end of verse 5. Through Jesus Christ. This is how it happens. 
We enter into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Greek phrase, dwelt among us, means that, that Christ came, God came to put, put up a tent or a tabernacle among us. Going back to old tem, uh, temple, tabernacle, tent times. He came to dwell among us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We sang together, how lovely is the dwelling place of of God. It's Psalm 84. It's a prophecy. It's a a psalm of we want to be in the presence of God. And we we get to sing this and read it through Psalm 84. Sing it and read it through the lens of the cross. Through the lens of the resurrection. That we don't have to long for the glory of God. We can see the glory of God in His Son, Jesus. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father. We have seen His glory, Jesus. This is when we say priority must be Jesus daily. We must look to Him daily, preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. God sent His Son to reside among us. John bore witness to this and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He comes after me, ranks before me, because he was before me. From his fullness we have received all grace upon grace. There's not more grace to receive. We're not waiting for more grace. Instead, when we recognize who Jesus is, and and we, in our small minds, can grasp his glory, We receive every bit of the grace that we need. His grace is sufficient. So as we as we unite with Christ through Christ and Him adopting us, we can then enter into the presence of the Lord. We can approach God as you come to Him. How through Jesus? As you come to them? How as you come to to God? How? As impure, unholy people, through the purity and the righteousness and the holiness only of Jesus, who came to dwell among us to make us right. Not just on Sundays. You know this, right? The Word came to dwell among us so that we don't just have to go to the synagogue or the temple. We can now have the presence of God Always through his son, Jesus. Not just during a special feast. Feast. Hey, let's all show up at a special time, at a special place so that we can see the glory of God. So we can sense or feel the presence of God or experience the presence of God. Not just on holidays. 79 days from now. We want to experience Christmas. But you know you, you have the gift of Christ daily. He is here. He dwells among us through his spirit. Not just in times of want or need, but all times. Not just as we're suffering through fiery trials, but every moment as you come to him, a living stone. Peter didn't turn to our attention to this Jesus as the living stone. How can a stone be living? It can't be living unless there's something supernatural that's happening in it. So how can a stone be living? It's a reminder when Peter says, come to Christ, the living stone, it is a reminder of the resurrection, a reminder that our Savior, who should have remained buried, rose from the grave, conquering Satan's sin and death. Jesus, the living stone. He didn't just call him the stone, he called him the living stone. He is He is a living stone. This being preached and written by a guy, I mentioned this earlier, who Jesus called himself a rock. 
I think Peter recognizes he's just a lowly rock that has no life except through and from Jesus. Yes, he's a foundational part of the church, but in humility he's reminding even himself, preaching to himself, that Jesus is the living stone, the cornerstone. Christians, our hope is in a living stone, in a living hope, in Jesus. And even during our rejection, we are reminded that Jesus is the living stone. Jesus preached this in John chapter 2. He says this, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show to us for doing these things? In verse 19, Jesus answered them, Destroy the temple. Destroy the temple. All those bricks and mortars and stone. Destroy it in three days. I will raise it up. And the Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to destroy it and raise it up in three Verse 21 of John chapter 2, he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. He is the living stone. Remember, remember back from our study of the minor prophets. Yes, a brick and mortar temple was used for a time to aid in pointing to the Messiah. Now the Messiah has come. The brick and mortar temple was destroyed, yet some are still longing for a place to go and sit. Yet Christ has come, destroyed the temple, resurrected from the grave, not so that his followers would go and sit, but they would recognize that they have They are going because he has sent them to go. Christians, I know too many of us who are longing for the house of the Lord to go and sit and to bask and to grow fat on the word, the pure spiritual word, the pure spiritual milk, and do nothing with that. Shame on us. Shame on us. We have a living stone who wants to grow inside of us that we might make the presence of the Lord known to the world. Paul tells us this, that he is, that God is making his, his plea to the world. He's imploring the world through his ambassadors. Peter joins up with that, saying that we too are like living stones, making the presence of the Lord known to the world. We have to fight that, that inward battle, That lazy battle to send us, Lord, to a place to go and sit. That we might sit in your presence. That we might bask in your glory. That place eternally is is with the Lord. It's called heaven. We are yet to be there. And so we have a mission given to us by God, commanded to us. It started in Genesis to go and make the presence of the Lord known. And we'll talk more about this next week, how we're fulfilling even this, uh, this Adam priesthood type stuff. And he's called us to go and make his presence known to the world as image bearers. Stop longing for a place to go and sit. Instead, recognize that the Lord is telling you to go, be sent. Rebuilding the temple in three days had nothing to do with brick and mortar and everything to do with death and life of Jesus. That he rose from the, gr- from the grave. That he is alive. And so because of that, we have a living hope. Christ is the true temple. There is no need for any other stone or any other temple. He is it. Jesus is it. Verse 5, so you like 
like the living stone of Jesus, rejected but yet chosen from God, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The church, we, the church, we are the body of Christ, uniting with Christ, being adopted by Him, being reborn because of Him. We are like Him, living stones. We have to remember this. We have to remember that Peter is reminding these exiles that they will also live a life of rejection. They will live a life of rejection. And you, this week, as you were rejected because of your faith in Christ, let that rejection remind you of the resurrection. Peter is writing to elect exiles, embattled people, aliens from their homeland, exiles living as people who are out of sync with the world, who will be hated, who will be persecuted. He, they will be. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 10. They will face fiery pers- persecution. Christ was rejected by men, yet chosen by God, precious in his sight. And we, as people bought by him, purchased by his blood, we participate in the same rejected living stone life. The rejection of Jesus, the cornerstone, points to the resurrection. And when people question your thoughts and your obedience to Christ and Christ alone, let that rejection remind you of the resurrection. It seems that the resurrection of Jesus as the cornerstone was fulfilled in his death, whereas his vindication of being honored by God occurred at his resurrection. And so we too, we long for that. That day that we get to celebrate that as well. The Greek word here for this rejection that's happening is in the perfect tense. It supports the notion of a past action with an on, with ongoing results that we will continually be being rejected. We are joining Christ in his rejection. Matthew chapter 10, I won't read that for you, but Matthew chapter 10 promises that for those of us who are his disciples. If we have been united with him in rejection, surely at the same time the hope is this, just because we're rejected doesn't mean we are dead. Just because you are rejected this week, and though it may not seem like the same persecution that happens in Southeast Asia or the Middle East or in parts of Africa, but even as you are rejected this week in your home, in your work, in your, in your leisure, wherever it may be, out of sync with the world, foundationally building your life upon something that the world is not, as you feel rejected this week, remind yourself, rejection does not mean death. Remind yourself that even for Christ, rejection only led him to, to think more about the resurrection. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, For if we have been united with him in death, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So let this rejection that is happening in the world today, that the Christians were facing even in 60 AD, let this rejection of you being obedient and submissive to the Lord and the Lord alone, the Lord Jesus, let that rejection remind you that you are not being built up into death, but you are being built up into life because of the resurrection of Jesus. Now you will only see this when you recognize biblically that you are the temple of the Lord. If you think that this building is the temple of the Lord or the house of the Lord, you will not recognize the need for the resurrection. You will be like the Pharisees who say, if this place is destroyed, what will we do? Jesus is saying, look to me. 
The Messiah, the Christ, the true temple. Paul and Peter both come on to say, in recognition of Christ being the true temple, listen, 1 Corinthians 6, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do you not recognize here that you are being built up as living stones, as a spiritual house, the place that the Lord dwells? Back to John chapter 1, verse 14. God sent his word to come and dwell among us. Jesus, reminding us in John chapter 14, I am the way and the truth, but listen, and I'm going to leave you, but I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to prepare a place, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to live and reside in you as the temple of the Lord. You'll have to go back because I want to preach all those minor prophets that we just finished preaching. So you might have to go back and remind yourselves of those things. Read through those. I'm not telling you to go back and listen to my preaching or, or Brian's preaching or Zach's preaching. I'm telling you to go back and read Scripture. When you see yourself as the temple of the Lord, your relationship with Christ will grow. It will grow more intimate and more personal with Jesus. And you will no longer, I think this, this is how we fight isolation. So many church members want to isolate themselves and not be united with other believers. When we grow in relationship with Christ, when we recognize that we are being built up together as the temple of Christ, as the Lord's house, then our relationship with Christ grows and our heart changes and our mission, overall mission, changes. We don't find Peter here writing to the Christians saying, hurry up, build a building. So you can fix your marriage, or so you can meet your specific goals, or you can, so you can establish church governance, or so you can finally give your tithe, or so that you can enter into the presence of God. He's not crying out to these elect exiles saying, hurry up, as Jesus is the temple, hurry up and build the place that we can worship him as he the temple. No, he's saying, listen, know who you are in Christ, and how you as people not as brick and mortar, but as people are being built up into the temple of the Lord to make or proclaim His presence to the world. We are living stones because of our belief in the resurrected Jesus. Death is no longer Lord over us. You're not rejected, and that leads to death. Even in your rejection, because of the resurrection, it leads to life. We have, we have a living Lord, a living stone. And we too, because of him, are being built up as living stones to make his presence known. The purpose of the church being living stones is to be built up into a spiritual house or a temple so that we may function as a holy priesthood. And we'll talk about this next week. How we, lowly fishermen, once impure and unholy, but because of Jesus, are being built up together to make the Lord's presence known to the entire world. I want to end by saying this. I hope you wrestle this week. I hope you wrestle this week. I've told you before, I remember as a, kid, remember as a child, my granddad was a bivocational pastor, and he yelled at my cousins over and over again. Stop running in the Lord's house. Sunday service would end, and he would yell at my cousins and I, Matt Harvey, Lori Beth, John David, Jamie Nell, stop running in the Lord's house. Stop running in the Lord's house. I get what he's saying. I understand it. I've yelled at my own kids 
the same thing. I probably will yell at them later today about the same thing. But it is not biblical. It has no foundational roots. It has old covenant roots for sure. But it has no new covenant roots. And when we call this place, when we call this place the house of the Lord, I'm talking about this building, the house of the Lord, we are rejecting the resurrection of Jesus. We are just like the Pharisees who are longing for, still longing for Jesus to rebuild the temple. And him with arms open wide saying, I am the temple. I'm all that you need. Be satisfied in me and me alone. So this week, wrestle with that. Wrestle with Jesus being it. Let me pray for you. Lord, I have wrestled this week so much with my own sin my own pride, my own desire to grow things for my own glory. God, let us not be a church gathered together seeking to praise ourselves, longing for things of this world, things that are going to satisfy us. But instead, God, break our hearts. Start with me. Break our hearts so that we might see Jesus is it. And let us take these words, even from Peter, knowing that they're breathed out by you. Let us take them to heart. And we know that we have the living stone who is resurrected from the grave. And foundationally, our lives can be built upon him. And so let us not be a people known to be rejecting that cornerstone. And longing for something upon this earth to find glory in. Instead, let us be daily rejoicing instead of rejecting. Rejoicing in our Savior Jesus. Our living Savior. Our living hope. The living stone. And let our lives be built upon Him and Him alone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.